Welcome in, everyone. It is Thursday, July 24th. I am Mark Real Jr., and you are watching State of the Family Courts. I um, want to welcome everyone back. Uh, I know I had a lot of DMs this past week. Last week, we did run a replay. Uh, I was in, uh, in the process of, of moving on multiple fronts. As you can see, different background tonight um, in the process of getting an actual studio built out. So uh, that, that's very exciting, but I'm excited to be back with you guys. I know I had promised a Q&A that was supposed to be last week, but now we're going to get an opportunity to dive in and do a Q&A tonight. So any questions, comments, anything at all you'd like to talk about, drop your comments in the chat and we will get to them. So I, I wanted to start out to, tonight, and I've had this conversation with a handful of people in my office already. And uh, we, we've had a, uh, in the last 48 hours, had another high profile dad um, get drugged through the mud. Uh, those of you in the Midwest, specifically the state of Missouri, uh, your former governor who, who had his issues, um, Eric Gretens, he, uh, he is the leading candidate uh, in the Republican primary for the United States Senate, and he uh, he's the leading candidate. It's a it's a super majority Republican state, um, a state that that our own Kenneth Rosa, Mark Ludwig, a, a lot of individuals in that state doing a lot of great work around um, around getting some equal and shared parenting legislation pushed through. That's been a a six eight year year run they've had, and they've come close a couple times. But uh, he is the leading candidate for U.S. Senate. And this uh, in, in the recent past, he, he got divorced in 2018. He was the governor in Missouri. He got accused of all sorts of crimes um, around tampering with evidence, different, different things like that. Um, it all stemmed from him being accused of having an extramarital affair, <clears throat> which he's admitted to. And uh, then in, uh, so he stepped down from the governorship and this was kind of his revival of his political career. And in the last several weeks, he has filed for full custody of his boys. After he stepped down as governor, his, uh, him and his wife divorced and she moved to Texas. Well, recently she filed or, or he filed for full custody. And uh, this past week, apparently he was on spring break with his boys. She was in Washington, D.C. Who knows what she was doing in Washington, D.C. And uh, all of a sudden, allegations that he was abusive come out. Now, there's no pictures. There's no evidence. There's been really minimal mention of it leading up to these allegations. And this is a divorce that took place in 2018, 2019. Um, so it, it really goes to show you that, uh, it doesn't really matter who you are. This is, this is a high profile politician. This is an individual with all of the connections in the world, all the financial backing in the world and his ex-wife after he files for full custody comes out with all of these allegations in regards to domestic violence. Um, there's a lot of theories, a lot of thought behind it. There are a couple of his primary challengers uh, who have jumped on the bandwagon and asked him to step out of the race. Uh, so it, it may not purely be her, but it, it appears that uh, 
hey, another dad files for full custody. And uh, rather than litigating it out on the merits, um, it appears that that mom's gone down the path of um, making domestic violence allegations. And you never want to make light of domestic violence. If it occurs, there should be punishment. There should be, um, you should have to pay for that. But uh, it, it, this is four years after their divorce, never a mention of it. And he's on the verge of getting his, really his career and his livelihood back. Uh, if he wins this primary, in all likelihood, he's going to be a U.S. senator. And these allegations come out. So uh, I know we've had, it's Greg Ellis has came on live with Rosa, Alec Baldwin, Johnny Depp. There have been so many high profile men who have, have gone through that. And just, just another one to show that it doesn't matter uh, really where... Um, Really where you're at in life, your stature, whether you're rich, you're poor, you're powerful, you're not. Um, and it, it's, it it's continues to happen. Um, Antonio with a comment here. Time to start, uh, start during uh, slander for false and defaming allegations. In addition to time, start suspending attorney's licenses for willingly endorsing this behavior. Uh, that's a... Uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the the behind the scenes, what happens in, in family court and with attorneys, I think that it would surprise a lot of people. And it's it's concerning. And it's uh, there's a lot of good attorneys, but but there are a lot of them that are stuck in the system. And it's this is the way we do things. And um, and they're willing to endorse this these things because Candidly, I think a lot of them don't have personal connection to family law and don't really understand what uh, what it means or or what they're actually dealing with. And so they're just out there to play the game. I, I say this. I worked in fitness. I worked in professional college and amateur sports. The most competitive situation I was ever in was law school. By nature, to be successful, a lot of lawyers have to be competitive and I, I think you're dead on. There are rules in place. Um, my my friend Sean Kohlmeyer is uh, has done a lot of work in in publicizing uh, some of these these rules and some things that attorneys need to abide by. We need better enforcement mechanisms. So I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think it's a situation where um, I, I listened. I found about the uh, the Gretton situation from um, Andy Frischilla and his, his podcast Real AF. And he talked about it today and I, I did did my research on it. It's it's the same situation a lot of dads go through. So, yeah, I think I think that uh, th there needs to be some pushback on on these types of things. <clears throat> and uh, Rhonda, really good point. Fathers suffer from domestic violence, too. One hundred percent. So studies show that anywhere between it's about 40 and 70 percent of victims of domestic violence are male. Most studies show it's it's relatively equal uh, in terms of domestic violence victims. The biggest problem that I see on a day-to-day -day basis um, and that I think in general we see is men's lack of willingness to report. Um, I, I've had guys come in my office that they've been stabbed, they've been shot at, they've been hit with a hammer, um, they've been beat to a pulp and there are photographs of it, but it's two or three years later. So it's a type of situation where they, whether they felt ashamed, whether they felt as if they were, it, it wasn't the manly thing to do to come forward. Men are victims just as much as women are, but men are less likely to report that. 
So um, we've we've uh, I've I've gotten on my soapbox there. I, I want to dive in and I want to um, answer your questions. So keep dropping questions in the comments, um, and we will get to as many of them as possible. Let me dig through here. I love how active you guys are tonight. Antonio here again. This is this is a really good point. So uh, Antonio says, I feel that many men do not report domestic violence. However, law enforcement is extremely reluctant to enforce these laws against women. Um, I, I would say anecdotally, I would tend to agree with that statement. Um, in in California, essentially, if uh, essentially if there's domestic violence has occurred they are required to arrest one person. And I, I would venture, especially when there are kids in the home and it involves kids, I think there is a, it, it is much more likely for the man to be arrested than the woman. Um, there, there used to be a card that, that some officers would carry around to determine who to arrest. And a lot of the factors on that tilted towards, we're going to arrest the man and then we'll figure the rest of this out later. All right, so we got a question about this. This is a common one that uh, we uh, we get. So um, Chris, all the way from the UK, thank you for watching. Um, so the issue of uh, mom being a full time caregiver during the relationship. What uh, what can you say or do that will will I, I think the question is what what can you say or do or what arguments can you make to prevent being a weekend dad? So. In terms of when you're in court, and this is not an uncommon situation, I think it's going to change rapidly. Uh, the number of women compared to men graduating from high school, from college with advanced degrees is tilted. Um, I think it's like 60% of college graduates are female. So I think we're going to have a reckoning when it comes to the stay-at-home mom and dad being the one that works, simply because there are going to be more educated women than there are educated men in the very, very near future which is a rapid change from what was going on 20, 30, 40 years ago when higher education was dominated by men. So what can you say? So the, the number one thing, I think it starts with what can you do? So a problem we run into a lot is when this divorce or when the separation's occurring, a dad has always had the role of being the moneymaker. And he's always had the role of being the one who provided financially for the family. And that may mean working early mornings, late nights, overtime, uh, where they may not be as home as, as much. They, they were never there, say, when you got on the bus, or they aren't, they aren't able to be there when you get home from school, or be there to be able to cook dinner. And so the first piece I, I advise dads to do is you have to take a look at your life and you have to prioritize it. Now, obviously, vast majority of us, we can't quit our day job. We can't quit working. Uh, but if, if you're working in a role that 
require or doesn't give you the ability to be flexible to be able to care for the kids, to be able to put them on the bus or be there when they get off the bus. That's something that could and probably will be used against you, where if you show the desire and the ability to do those things and to be present for those things, um, being present at dentist, orthodontist, doctors, um, parent-teacher conferences. So really the start of your argument is what you do what you make yourself available to do and what you show you're willing to do. Because if you walk in there and you're someone who's worked 5 a.m. to 3 p.m. every single day for the last five years since your kid was born and you plan on keeping that schedule, there's probably going to be some limitations as to really what you can pursue. So start rearranging your life and showing the judge and the courts with your actions that you're ready, willing, and able to move forward uh, with taking on more of that caretaking role. And even in going through it, showing you're willing and able to do all the things that a, a child is going to need. So I, I think that, that your work, if you're, if you're starting out in the courtroom and you're like, what do I say? You've probably done it wrong. You, you need to show with your actions because both of your lives, both yourself and your co-parents' lives are going to be different post-separation. So you have to show you have the ability to navigate through that and be there for your kids. That's a really good question. That's, that's a really, really common one. We got Michael here. So my wife took off to South Carolina. I'm stationed in California. Now she is using that against me in custody and mediation. So I'm ba based on the station portion of it. I am guessing you are um, in um, you are in the military. So thank you for your service. Uh, this is unfortunately this is something that we have a couple military bases out here that we deal with pretty regularly. So um, the, the the first piece I would say is there are special laws and there are special protections for our military members. So that's something that those are, those are uh, federal laws that protect our military members while you're active duty. So um, the first thing I would do is if there's any questions and it looks like I got uh, a comment here, uh, I'm, I'm getting transferred out there, which is, I mean, that's, that's really um, showing your desire there to be a father. I'm assuming your case is based in South Carolina. Um, at this, with, with the comment there, but I would say that, uh, you, you need to talk to an attorney who understands military law, how it combines with family law, uh, because there's probably going to be jurisdictional questions where the case should be based out of, because, uh, they may not consider where you're stationed, your home state. Um, we had a situation where the two were stationed in New in Louisiana and they were moving uh, and they were moving to different states. So, but Louisiana wasn't considered the home state and a fourth state was actually technically their state of residence, but neither of them was going to live there. So there's some complex issues with the military piece. It sounds like you, you, you got into a pretty good situation being able to be transferred out there. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard. It, it is hard. And, and I will say that I, I've seen a tendency as long as you get, as long as you show the effort that judges are going to make some uh, are, are going to be look favorably towards our military members and not punish you 
for your service. All right, so we got Peter here. So simply men or, or simply men have no rights unless mom is giving the kids up. The only thing you can do is go to the court, put your wallet and checkbook on the table and walk away. Yeah, I, I think that uh, a lot of men feel that way. Uh, I, I would say this, we're getting better. Things are improving. Uh, I recall now it's probably been three or so months. I had a conversation on here with uh, fellow California attorney, David Pissarra, um, who's doing some really cool things with uh, Union of Dads. If you look him up on uh, TikTok and, and his podcast, he puts out some great content, not just legal advice, but, but just general things to help dads out. He does some great work, but we were talking and he's been doing this for 20 years. He's been representing men in family court and things are getting better. We, uh, I, I, I guess we're celebrating a little bit. The state of West Virginia has uh, on the governor's desk, they, they're headed to be the third state with a presumption of 50-50 custody. They have a very, very similar bill to the state of Arkansas. There are a handful of other states making runs at passing bills this year. And there are probably about a dozen states in the next two to three years that have very, very, very likely chances of getting equal and shared parenting bills passed. So the dynamic in family court's changing. Uh, we we got to keep continuing to show up. We're changing the laws in many states. We're changing the way things work. Um, but it, it's, it's been a slow movement. Uh, and, and we look back at, at history and any movement of this magnitude. And, and you could make an argument that this is the single largest movement that has ever happened in the United States, 49% of the population are men. Um, and, and so many more, whether it be new spouses, mothers, siblings, aunts, uncles are impacted by this. We're, we're moving in the right direction. Things were much different uh, 20 years ago than they are today. And I, I think that 20 years from now, we're going to look back at what, what's going on today. And we're going to be an absolute shock of uh, of the way things were handled. I, I don't see a way where 20 years from now, we don't have equal and shared parenting in every single state. And then you made, so Peter, Oklahoma, Oklahoma passed some, a law last year that helped out statutorily. Um, they are a state, I think, to keep an eye on in the next couple of years. Um, and uh, and I, think, I think they have a pretty good shot of, uh, of getting something done. We've done some pretty, we've done two different, we've done two episodes with uh, Tulsa attorneys um, or Tulsa and Oklahoma city attorneys. So that, that may be one for you to, to, to look up on YouTube or on uh, Facebook. Um, Antonio here, can JAG provide you with assistance or direction? Yes. So if you go to uh, your, your legal assistance, they can point you in the right direction. They, I, my understanding is they can't give you specific legal advice, but they can point you in the right direction of what you need. And they're going to understand basics of what mil, how military law and how the rules of the military play with the UCCJEA, the Uniform Child Custody and Jurisdiction Enforcement Act, and also just general custody principles. So a lot of military members, I think the first thing you should do 
you absolutely need, need, need to visit your um, JAG officer and, and have, have a conversation with them so they can point you in the right direction. Because un- unfortunately, um, divorce and separation is very, very common in the military. So it's at minimum, they're going to point you in the right direction of what you need and the help you need to get. Okay, here's a good one here. So uh, question, Um, I was in family court, um, now in regular court, so I'm assuming civil court. Um, I was in family court and they ordered my ex-wife to pay child support. She does not. How do I get child support? Um, So if you have a child support order, it it would be about getting that order enforced. So that could be an OSC, order for show cause is what we call it here in California, contempt. That could be uh, they're, they're, in California, we have a, a document that you can file to have their wages garnished. Or you could, you could, in theory, just go back into court and have the same judge order that. Um, there's, so there's multiple different ways. Um, and then that obviously changes if the state's involved. So if your state child support agency is involved with the order, then um, I, I would be reaching out to them to see what you knew, need to do to get that order enforced. <laughs> Susan, you sound like a Mark Ludwig clone. Love Mark Ludwig. Got a chance to go to his event in St. Louis. Uh, he's doing, I think he's been in Ohio, Missouri. Um, so uh, I, I, I do know Mark and I, I love the work he does with Americans for Equal and Shared Parenting. Um, he's the closest thing we have to a true lobbyist in this uh, in this space, um, fighting against these these major organizations that have lobbyists with desks at the Capitol. So um, I, I have nothing but love for Mark Ludwig, and he, he's one of the true leaders and and pioneers in in this movement. All right, we have Rich here. So we need a system to stop lawyers from pushing females to getting restraining orders when they aren't needed to allow them easy wins when it comes to custody of their children. Agreed. And this is, I've had this conversation with with multiple attorneys on the show where family law and specifically divorce and child custody practice areas have devolved into you file the petition and you also file a restraining order because the bar typically in family court to get a restraining order is preponderance of the evidence. And my, it's my opinion and my belief that judges are going to act on the side of caution. And I, I, I would candidly say, say the practical bar within which a restraining order is judged is probably below that of even preponderance of the evidence. Um, and, and I agree. There, there are so there is so frequently that um, I'm dealing with a couple cases right now where they got temporary restraining orders granted against my clients, and there's no evidence. There's no nothing, and it just slogs the process down, and it creates a high risk 
really minimal reward hearing for for the uh, the party who is accused, and it creates a hearing that um, either is going to benefit them greatly, or it is going to um, or, or there's no harm, no foul if they don't get the permanent restraining order, protective order, whatever you call it in your state, granted. Um, California, Nevada, some there are a few other states even have laws that they explicitly statutorily tie getting a restraining order granted to limiting the other parents' custodial time. And so I think those types of laws, Family Code Section 3044 out here, they need to either be revamped or they need to just be completely scrapped because, yeah, we, we've created a system and, and domestic violence is awful, but we've created a system within which you're incentivized to make these allegations because there's no really risk of anything if it doesn't get granted. And um, there is a uh, there was a, a Harvard professor that, that made a comment a while back that, um, in short, she said, everything is domestic violence. Uh, we keep expanding the definition to where, candidly, I tell guys, if you've been in a relationship for more than a year with someone, you've both probably committed what the state of California would deem as domestic violence. Um, text messages, uh, arguments, different things like that can be considered domestic violence. So I think we need to, and, and we, we live in a Twitter world, we live in the 280 character world, but we really truly need to take a look at how we want to define this and does someone truly need protection or is this being used as a, as a, a legal battering ram for them to be able to get what they want quicker. So I, I think that's the biggest thing is we need to have some nuance in terms of what we do and how we look at these things. Wow. So Chris, this is, uh, thank you for sharing this. Uh, thank you for your service, 14 years. Um, that's absolutely fantastic. So Chris's comment, um, I'm, I'm 14 years in the military and lost three guys taking their life to this. It needs to change. Um, Greg Ellis talks about this a lot in his book, The Respondent. Um, that men and boys are, are much more likely to take their own lives and we see it really on a weekly basis uh, where, where men are driven to the point of, of considering taking their own life. And I see the comments. I didn't get to some of them about the only way to, to, to win this battle or the only way to do this is just to never give up. Well, I truly believe um, that, that, that in a lot of instances is the case. Um, I, anybody who's watching... Uh, TFRM has a, a hotline you can call. There's obviously the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Um, and I'll tell you this, I, I think that uh, really, I, I know a lot of you that are viewers are in, in these Facebook groups uh, around father's rights and comment. And I just see an overwhelmingly overwhelming amount of support. So if, if you're here watching this, uh, go find yourself a, a couple of these Facebook groups to 
be a part of a community because you're, you're not the only one going through it. Uh, you're not the only one having to deal with these situations and um, being able to talk. And, and I, I've, I've made so many great friends and built so many relationships from just being in those groups. Um, I Unfortunately, I don't get the chance to be in them and, and comment in them as much as I used to. But uh, that, that was a big thing for me um, was being a part of those communities. So um, it, it's so sad to hear of men taking their own lives um, and, and it being driven by the family court machine or, or as uh, Greg Ellis calls it, the cartel. Um, it, it's, we, we need to band together. And, and really anybody in the community in need, um, if you see someone in the community in these Facebook groups or in day-to-day life that's in need, um, we, we, need to have, we need to have empathy and we need to step up and be there for those individuals and, and get them the resources they need because you aren't going to do anything. Um, you, you aren't able to benefit your kids or, or be there for your kids uh, if, if you take your own life. So, Chris, thank you so much for sharing that. So we, we got a question from Tony here. So Tony, what do I have to do to help or receive help? I'm going through custody right now and I need help and want to help others. So I think that the, the number one piece is that a, a big part of this movement growing and a big part of this movement taking a step forward has been uh, through the ability of Facebook groups. As crazy as it seems, Facebook groups has driven this movement to make more progress in the last three to four years than it has in the 20 years prior. Uh, so if you type in father's rights um, on, in, on, on Facebook here, you're probably going to pop up with any number of groups um, and, and go through and look. And there are some pretty large groups, 50, 60, 70,000 members. Um, whether it be, uh, for example, one of them that, uh, that I, I, I've been pretty active in is, is pro se dads. And it's a group in there that it's exclusively, uh, men will ask their, ask questions. And then other fathers who have been through it will talk about their situations and what they did. Um, others will provide content, provide value, show the things they filed in the court, what's worked, what's not worked. Um, so getting involved in, in those types of groups and in those communities uh, is a can be a huge deal, can, uh, can uh, allow you to gain some perspective from some men who have been through it and also provide value for the next generation of men. Um, what's something else you can do? Uh, doing something as simple as, as clicking the share button on this show. Um, sharing content from the Father's Rights Movement and other groups on your Facebook page. Create awareness. Um, I think a lot of men, we, we go through this battle, we go through this fight, and, and we talked about suicide. We, we go through this fight and this battle alone. And there are probably men quietly suffering that you know. Um, 
I've, I've reconnected with uh, a friend from high school and become closer friends with him than we were when, when uh, we were in high school uh, because we randomly connected when I believe I commented in a group and he saw my name. So th- there are people, there are people suffering and, in, in like I said, something as simple as sharing, sharing this video, uh, sharing content from the father's rights movement or any of these other pages uh, can, you, you never know who that's going to help. So it's great, Tony. Um, if you, uh, if you drop a DM to the father's rights movement, um, we're always looking for volunteers. We're always looking for people to help. So that's another avenue that, uh, that you can get involved with. All right, we got Susan here. This should be a matter of purely right and wrong and equal rights. Yes, um, our executive director here with the Father's Rights Movement, Casey Sowers, he, he calls this a human rights issue. And he's focused a lot of his work on um, the impact that family courts have on big business because this these issues permeate through all areas of life. These issues affect corporate boards. We talked about the leading Senate candidate for the United States Senate in Missouri is facing false allegations in the middle of a custody battle. Um, We we have so many high profile. I mean, it seems like every single day there's another celebrity. There's someone else that's high profile that's going through this battle. We've seen a lot of of Kanye West over the uh, the past past three or four months. And I've, I've got, I've had a little bit of an opportunity to kind of see under the hood of what's going on there. And it's a situation where um, each time that happens, there's more and more publicity to it. And uh, I see so many comments there, there, I've seen posts on social media championing, championing Kim and what she's doing. And I'm starting to see more and more people, not just people involved in equal and shared parenting, but People in general say like, no, Kanye, the father has equal rights and he deserves those. So I agree. Um, And I think, like I said, our our leader here, Casey Sowers, would go even a step further. This isn't uh, an equal rights issue. This is a human rights issue that impacts upwards of 75% of the population. Uh, Like I said, 49% of the population is male. But think about all the other individuals that this could impact. The new spouses, the families, the siblings, um, the, the the children themselves. So this is something that that it, it is it is it is truly a right versus wrong situation. And I've had that conversation that individuals who oppose equality on in parenting are going to be viewed the same as individuals who opposed equality in the twenties for women, opposed the abolishment of slavery, opposed the civil rights movement, opposed gay marriage. Those people who oppose this movement, this is the, this is one of the next big social justice fights is the equality of parenting and parents themselves. So, and we've seen the, the truly, I'll call it evil in the, uh, in the family court system. 
Uh, I can tell you there is a very major U.S. city that their guardian ad litem program is being investigated by the FBI. Uh, we've seen the lid blown open on the cash for kids in their gal program in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, we, we've seen uh, several states, including my state, California, Department of Child Support Services come under heat because they're keeping 13% of the money dads pay in child support. So it's going to the state. It's not going to the child or even the child's family. So I, I completely agree with you, Susan. This is, this is a matter of purely right versus wrong. And those individuals in the coming years that fought against this are going to be viewed in the light of those who, who failed to support those other movements that were truly necessary and needed. Ooh, Mike here. Mike, this is a fantastic question. Going back more to legal strategy. So is a motion to enforce more effective than asking for an action for contempt? The answer is, I, I could give you the most lawyer answer ever. It depends. In my opinion, a motion to enforce and modify on the basis that one parent is not following the order is probably going to yield you more results than the contempt. The contempt is going to punish the parent if you can prove it. It's going to punish the parent who's violating the order. A motion to enforce, um, along with requesting modification, could get you a change in custody. So a contempt in itself is not going to get you a change in custody. It's going to punish the party who's in contempt of court. While a motion to enforce could get the judge to make a change to the custody order. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the motion to enforce or motion to compel. Um, there's a couple different ways you can do it uh, in order to get at least bring it in front of the judge and bring it to the judge's attention that mom is not following the custody order. So great question there, Mike. Don't get married in California. Um, I, I feel like uh, Rich, a lot of a lot of my clients would uh, would agree with you on that statement. All right, so I'm going to hop on Peter's question. I'm not going to comment on the firm he mentions, but um, Oklahoma City. So if you're in Oklahoma, uh, Keith Flynn and Brian Jackson, they've been on the show here twice. They are fantastic. They're the real deal. They're, fan they're amazing attorneys. Um, they're based out of Tulsa, but they practice all over the state. So if you're in the state of Oklahoma, I, Peter, you mentioned in, you're in Oklahoma, Keith Flynn and Brian Jackson. Um, Dads.law. And uh, we'll, Antonio, I think you're, you're piggybacking on uh, Peter's comment there. Lawyers under that banner that will, are worthless and will only succeed in draining your wallet. I think that uh, here's the thing and here's the piece. Um, now, at my firm, Real Fathers Rights, we truly are exclusive to representing dads. Um, all we do is represent men and fathers in family court. If you go look at a lot, there's not too many firms who do what we do. And so 
a lot of these firms, they may have a father's rights page on their website. They may have a separate website. Uh, a lot of times you got to do your research. And um, I think a fantastic place, an absolute fantastic place. We mentioned, I mentioned these Facebook groups asking, I mean, the, these groups that have 60, 70,000 people in all likelihood, there's probably going to be someone in your area who's been represented by an attorney and like the, the service they received. So in, in the, there definitely are attorneys and we get clients that come in that attorneys haven't done anything for them in three, six, nine months. And obviously you don't want to put yourself in that situation. So uh, w- whenever you're, you're looking to hire an attorney, you need to do your due diligence. You need to look, uh, you really need to, to ask around. You need to look for reviews. You need to look at, at their track record and have a conversation with them about what they're going to do on your case. So I agree with you, Antonio. I think there are attorneys who their only thing they're good at is draining your wallet. So uh, there, there's definitely resources out there, uh, not the mainstream where they're fishing for Google reviews, but these Facebook groups can be a gold mine. John asks, any recommendation for lawyers in Northern Ohio? Uh, drop me a DM, uh, at the father's rights attorney. Let me, let me check around. I don't have a name on the top of my head, but usually with our network, we're able to find someone. Uh, we have not had an Ohio attorney on the show. Another hot button. Antonio, thank you for being so active tonight on on the uh, broadcast here. It's time to stop the federal government from giving Title 4D incentives to the courts. Uh, This, I feel, is a root cause of the problem that family courts have. They look more at generating revenue than truly giving judgments on what is in the child's best interest. I I think you're, you're dead on. There are multiple issues with family courts around misguided laws, misguided policies. Uh, one of those is, I think, around the funding of, of chi- the child support system in Title 4D. So for those of you that don't know, in short, Title 4D is essentially a federal kickback for collecting child support that helps fund the system. Um, I think that's, that's, a, that's an issue. Uh, we've seen that in the state of Texas back in 2020 when they intercepted father, a lot of dads refund or uh, stimulus checks. They sent out a press release congratulating themselves for collecting the most money they had ever collected uh, in a calendar year. And, and I think that that's, shows the, the motive for what they do because in a 50-50 parenting situation or close to it, you're not going to have nearly as much child support. The second one is, we talked about it earlier, domestic violence. So uh, we've seen a lot of conversation around the Violence Against Women Act. Um, that's something that was enacted in the 90s. That Another thing that provides funding. Uh, when women are victims of domestic violence, there, there's a funding component to the states. So I think it's, it's more than Title 4D. Title 4D is an issue. Um, it's something that, that many in the movement have taken up. That's one of the few federal issues. So that's something that the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House would have to address. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think a lot of the, the mental horsepower finances are so focused on the state level 
that I don't see Title 4D changing anytime soon. But it's definitely something I think that is kind of a second generation change once we are 50 for 50 in states having equal and shared parenting. So that's uh, that, that's very, very, very astute, very, uh, very commonly held belief, I think, from a lot of people. So we're about 45 minutes. I'll probably take another two or three questions here. So if you got any questions, drop them in the um the chat and we will uh, get to as many of them as we can. Julie, not, not a comment, but a question. So, and I think this is an interesting one. So Julie says fathers have their rights and most are better than mom. So there are actually some studies that show that specifically certain age demographics of both boys and girls, the father is the most important figure in their life. Um, at minimum, and I think the most commonly held belief is really truly throughout their childhood, mom and dad play a very significant role in in different aspects and in different ways. So yeah, I think that they, I, I represent a lot of clients who I'll just simply say they are flat out better parents than their co-parent is, period. And the, the cool thing about it is we're starting to see more and more judges accept that and be willing to, to award custody to dad when he's the more fit parent. So I completely agree with you, Julie. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say most. I think both parents are very important. Um, and I think that's one thing about the father's rights movement, the equal and shared parenting movement. We're very pro-child. So um, I, I, I hate to, to, to be put out there that, hey, dad is better than mom. We know kids need both, period. And if we fought for fathers to have more access or be in control rather than mothers, we would really be making the same arguments that our opponents are making right now. So. Um, Moms and dads are both important. Kids win when both mom and dad are involved. Um, but, uh, but great point, Julie. We got a couple of comments in here. If you have a specific state that you're looking for, potentially an attorney referral, uh, drop me a DM at my um, Facebook account. It's at the father's rights attorney. And um, we, we, we have a pretty vast network at this point in time of attorneys that we trust, attorneys that we believe in, um, attorneys that we are, we're willing to put our name behind and recommend. So I know we got Oklahoma, Ohio, New Mexico, um, a handful of others on the other social platforms. So drop me a message. We'll, we'll connect those offline here. And what we'll do here is I'm going to take one more question here and then, then, then we'll, we will wrap this up. So Peter, uh, Peter talking about child support here. You can't, um, so this is specific to child support. DHS will not go after women as they will men. Same with visitation. Not even the sheriff will get involved. All they will say is go back to court at 250 an hour. Not many men can. Um, agree. And um, I'll start with the uh, 
the sheriffs and law enforcement. And, and I represent a good number of law enforcement officers, corrections officers, and the piece about them or, or the biggest the biggest conversation piece I usually have is, well, what is you guys' training? What do your superiors tell you? And we, we represent some, some individuals pretty high up in a couple of sheriff's departments. And until they go through the system, they, they basically, their habit or, or what they, they just naturally do is they gravitate towards, okay, well, we're going to let mom handle this and then we'll just tell dad to go back to court. Um, I've had many times where I've had clients call me in their law enforcement's at their front door demanding they do something, despite the fact that that's in, it's, it's opposite of what the court order says. And we've had the same situation the other way around where they refuse to enforce a court order and say, you just got to go back to court. Um, in many states, Missouri, Texas, California, there is actually um, a criminal statute. So I'd encourage you know, whatever state you're in to go through and look this up. But there is a there there is typically a criminal statute for violating a custody order. Um, I have a handful of clients who it's not the easiest thing to get a DA to prosecute, but they've worked hard, they've documented things, and they've ultimately gotten the DA to pursue criminal charges for violations of custody orders. Um, and, and I think that um, in terms of getting law enforcement to do these things, I think that uh, one thing we had some success with is that um, I had a client who, who was pretty far up in, in one of the sheriff's departments, and we were able to connect and have a conversation with the leadership around the issues that were being caused by this sheriff's department. Now, we'll see in the long run if uh, that will change their behaviors, change their trainings. But that, that is something, the enforcement of custody orders, because I've had officers tell me they spend upwards of 70% of their time on domestic disputes. And so given that they're spending 70% of their time on domestic disputes, they probably want to get in and out of these disputes as quickly as possible, or they really don't want to deal with them. So I think that uh, if you're having those issues, trying to have conversation to educate the officers could, could be a good way forward. And also, uh, if there is a criminal statute in your state, being able to give that to them and say, hey, she's violating the law, that can also be very helpful. And I will we'll take one more here. So Antonio, again, um, making a, a, a very strong point. We should look at discrimination. The courts need to enforce fairly. Yeah, I think, uh, so he, here's, here's the math behind it. So we don't really know stats from family court because family court, a lot of the cases are sealed. So we don't know, we'll call it the ball strike percentage, what type of custody orders the, the judge grants. We know that in 2018, uh, the Census Bureau said that about 80% of custodial parents were moms and it's 12 or 14% were dads. Um, so where I usually go with this discrimination piece is to criminal court. We know, we absolutely know the stats in criminal court. And in criminal court, for a similarly situated defendant, the man will get substantially more time than the woman will in jail they'll get substantially harsher punishment. On top of that, 
the darker your skin, the longer your prison sentence. And I know here in Southern California and a lot of other states, these judges, uh, we, we definitely, there's a fit. There is a, there are multiple criminal court judges in, in the counties I operate in who have been family court judges. There are multiple family court judges who have been in criminal court. So we have these hard statistics that say discrimination is occurring um, and in, in criminal court. And we have those same people presiding over family court cases. So I would like to see and I would like to lobby for um, essentially when a judge makes a custody order, we have basic demographic information, um, race, maybe nationality, age, sex, and the judge has to put in the custody percentage that they ordered and it be publicly available data. And I would love to see what percentage of custody on a, on a, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis is a judge granting to mom versus dad. What type of custody splits when it's, when the parents are Hispanic or when the parents are white, is there a difference? Um, and I think that. Um, I think that's something that could help keep our court systems honest. We've seen a lot of facts, findings, and conclusions. Um, that, that's a big one that a lot of states have pushed through in the last couple of years is the, re the requirement of facts, findings, and conclusions of law uh, when certain parameters aren't met. I think the next would be, is there a database? Like, let's slap the judge's face up on a website and say he grants black dads custody 12% of the time. And he grants white moms custody 89% of the time. Let's, let's see those numbers. Let's force these individuals making these decisions to come to the reality with their decisions. So that, that's, that's really my piece. That's a really, really good comment that I'm going to say we know it occurs. Uh, but the current system allows the individuals making the discriminatory decisions a pass by keeping things secretive. And then wrap up here, shout out to Chris Cole, We The Parents Podcast. Chris, we got to get all the attorneys back on. We got to get the gang together again. Um, well, it was probably about two months ago. We had uh, a lot of the leading uh, father's rights attorneys on, on Chris's show. I think there were seven of us. Um, that, that was a good time. But uh, Chris's comment, domestic disputes that are propagated by the court system. Yes. Uh, there are many states that have laws, and and Chris and I know we, we've had a lot of con some conversations about this, um, and and done. We're gonna make we're gonna make the we're gonna make the the attorney podcast thing uh, happen again. Um, but uh, it, it's it, the laws perpetuate this. It's a way to gain an advantage, and many men have been through that. These, quite frankly, issues that. Should there's no threat of future abuse, there's no threat of anything happening where we're looking at one negative comment or one argument as being the grounds for a domestic violence restraining order. It it, it cheapens the the actual victims. Um, so it, it cheapens the individuals, both men and women, who are victims of serious domestic violence. And those that are found guilty in a court of law of domestic violence deserve all the punishment they get. Um, but, but we need to protect the real victims by stopping the litigation around the stuff that isn't domestic violence.
So Antonio, I'll, I'll catch your comment here too. Are there any movements to start holding the court's employees, judges accountable? Are they working to knock down or minimize their immunity uh, to willing, blatant violations of the law? Yes. So um, number one is, I'll give a shout out to Sean Colmeyer, unethical karma. Um, he's educating the populace about attorneys and what their ethical obligations are doing. Uh, there, are, there are currently multiple lawsuits in multiple different jurisdictions, um, probably most notably to the father's rights movement. Um, our own Kenneth Rosa is uh, working through a, a federal lawsuit where uh, the guardian ad litem who has essentially been caught um, and is a fraud and is a coward uh, is hiding behind quasi-judicial immunity because they are an arm of the court. So um, that that's something that there, there are a lot of movements out there and there's a lot of things being exposed. I keep going back. Um, I keep going back to um, the, the fact that these, these Facebook groups, these different things, social media as a whole has allowed us to connect. And you, like I said, you can pro there, there's a, there is a, a theory out there uh, that is being tested in a couple of jurisdictions where essentially an individual reaches out in some of these Facebook groups and says, I'm looking for dads in this county. And they want to get five or six dads, hopefully a mom or two to, to, to kind of allow for that diversity in the group. And then they're suing in federal court um judges and 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 different members of the the family law system so there, there's a lot of theories and there's a, with the internet there's a lot of people trying a lot of things um find your tribe uh there's there's any anything specific that we've talked about tonight there's probably a group that they're specifically working on that issue um don't be afraid to just reach out in these groups um DM me, um, Chris Cole's in the comments on YouTube. I know you can reach out to him. There's so many people that can, that, that are actively involved in the community that can really point you in the right direction and help you find the group that if you want to advocate, if you want to work on a specific topic, they can help you find the people and get connected. Um, there, there's so many groups doing so much good work in this space right now that uh that there's there's a tribe there's a tribe for you out there so um as we wrap up tonight i want to thank everyone thank the viewers um without you guys uh this would not happen and could not happen um so i'm mark real you are watching state of the family courts and i will see everybody next thursday night at 8 p.m eastern 5 pacific we'll see you guys next week